Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Masonian Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of food entrepreneurs. We're glad you joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hope Sauce. And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Hey, Sarah. Uh, I just saw you in real life person. So hopefully we have things to talk about today. <laughs> we might have already talked about all of them. <laughs> well, I have a question for you. Yeah, what is it? So um, we talked a little bit about you going to the farmer's market pros thing down in San Diego, but you didn't tell me that you were on the tent talk live talking about market burnout. So, yeah, I actually have two podcasts I can tell people to listen to. So one of them is um, when I went down to the Farmer's Market Pros Conference um, in San Diego, that that session was recorded. So it was being done on Zoom and then they recorded it. And so then they posted it as one of their tent talk episodes. So that's so so cool. Yeah. So people can find that. I've talked about their podcast a few times, but if you have anything to do with Farmer's Market, the Tent Talk uh, podcast is great. It's definitely geared towards farmer's markets, towards vendors, anybody that has anything to do with a farmer's market. So um, I am up as their latest episode right now. So you can listen to that. Just um, okay. And so I have to tell you, I did notice your cool dress. I think it's a new dress. (laughs) It looks like a farmer's market dress. Yep. So it has like pear trees on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that um very cool. There's a local store called Adorn, and there's a woman, Wendy, that works there. And I told her I was gonna speak at a conference, and so she helps me pick out the perfect farmer's market outfit. <laughs> so if, awesome. if you need help with um, any kind of outfit, there. yeah, you can go there and she will help you support your local businesses. Oh, so really you know, I saw you posted a picture of you and your mom walking through the forest in the snow. It looks so, what a great way to spend your Easter Sunday. Yeah. We went up to Welch's and um, did a hike up there uh, with my mom and family. And it was really nice. There was snow on the ground, but not too much to be able to get around. And it was really great. It's also a uh, mushroom season up there. Ooh, so did even you find any? we didn't find any, but I think we were on like a pretty, um, you know, like well-traveled trail. So I think yeah. if it would have been anything, people would have snatched them up. But just so people know, this is a good time to go up and go mushroom hunting up there. And I don't know if people know this about mushroom hunting, but um, just from living up there, I know that if you so find funny. stuff and you're not sure, you can take it to the Forest Service Center and there's one in Welch's and you can they can help you 
you identify what it is before you. Whoa, eat it. So, that's great. Yeah. So if you don't know what you're doing, they're there to help you. That's Thank cool. you. Thank you for service. Yeah. Well, listen, I pulled weeds in our driveway and I didn't find any mushrooms there and there was no snow. So I think you totally beat me on the Easter activities. <laughs> I, think, fun. I think I might've had a little more fun than you with the weed pulling, yeah. but it's an important part of, of, you know, life. It's and a gardens sort of and, zen thing. Yeah. Picking. Yeah. Um, the other podcast Sarah was going to mention is that one of our past guests, Sarah Delavan, um, she has oh, a she has a, a podcast. She has a podcast called The Good Food CEO, and they talk about um, more of the business financial side of having a small food business. And so um, she, you know, she's a numbers gal, which as we've talked about, Sarah, I am not. So I love um, people who are and talking with them about things. So she. Um, you know, it's kind of helps small businesses with financial planning and things like that. And her podcast um, is called Good Food CFO. You can find it on iTunes. And I um, just did an episode with her, uh, episode 74. So people can find that on. It might be um, too late for me to announce this, but I'm going to anyway. So, um, Prosperous Portland is having a good for uh, what is it? Oh, Good Food Consortium, which is on the 28th in the afternoon from 1 to 4.30, and it costs 125 bucks. And it's at the OSU Center downtown in the old Macy's building on the second floor. And you can find information for registration on P-R-O-S-P-A-R-U-S on Instagram. She has all the links. Shannon's spot. And, so and that, Sarah so, Devlin's going to be there. Delavan, um, Madeline Coggins, Felice Thorpe, and Shannon uh, Hiller Webb. They're all going to be speaking. And so that's, that's for small business owners to attend. Yeah, right? I think people who maybe are going to be selling at the Good Food Mercantile, which is happening on Friday, the 29th. Okay, cool. So, so if people want education or want to attend the Mercantile, they can go to that website and sign up, right? Yeah. And it's at the mercantile is at the night market. And we're going to have, I think, 10 uh, women from the NASDA Women in Food and Agriculture um, class that we just completed. So it should be, I don't know exactly how many people are going to be displaying their foods at the mercantile, but it should be pretty interesting and good. It should be fun. I have a booth there. I'll be there. So we'll see I'll each other. I'll be there too. Because the OSU, road. College of Ag and Food Science and the FIC are a sponsor. So we'll be in the sponsor section. And we're going to be serving tea made from olive leaves um, grown down in the Salem area. And then we'll have uh, beer made with all of these and also hopefully some kombucha. So it's kind of a new thing. We um, With Creole orchards, they're growing i think they have 1200 olive leaves down in the salem area we got a specialty crop block grant to explore beverages made with olive leaf and stem that's really cool i can't wait to try it that's fun yeah that's cool does it kind of make it taste like a like a bitters or something i would say if i had to characterize it i would say it's kind of like drinking green tea oh okay cool well yeah. i will come by your booth and try it for sure stop on by all right, Sarah. Well, it's not just me and you <clears throat> here chatting today. We have a special guest and I'm mm -hmm. super excited because we're going to talk about grilling and barbecue, which I know you're the griller in your family, Sarah. So you'll have lots of 
questions. Um, we're joined in the studio today by Tori Campbell. Tori is the owner of Felton and Mary, making uh, special family barbecue sauces and a classic rub. Hello, Tori. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. Yes, yeah, thanks thank for joining. Thank you for having me. And we kind of broke the rules today. Tori has a small family business. Uh, we aren't interviewing a female entrepreneur, but we just decided it was worth it. So welcome anyways. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us. We want our listeners to be able to find you and follow along. So how can they find you on Instagram and online? Yeah. So on Instagram, uh, you can follow us at uh, Felton and Mary. So that's F-E-L-T-O-N-A-N-D-M-A-R-Y. And uh, also that's uh, Felton and Mary on Facebook, as well as Felton and Mary on Twitter. So those are the ways that you can follow along in our journey as a local small food company. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to um, connect people to you through our Instagram so people can find you that way too. Uh, we want to start at the beginning. So let's start with talking about who Felton and Mary are. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So Felton and Mary were my grandparents. And to know them would be to know two amazing people who really had a knack for hospitality. Uh, they were yard, yard sale aficionados, as I like to say. Um, they always had big pots on the stove at their home and welcomed tons of people, both friends uh, and family uh, and, and neighbors to come and enjoy uh, their food. So, so much of what they really uh, modeled for me was community uh, through hospitality and good food. And they met in the Bay Area and eventually in retirement moved up to Portland in the mid eighties uh, to get away from all of their children. Uh, and most of them end up following as well as their grandchildren, which was me. And so a lot of what we had in our home uh, and what we ate uh, really uh, was eventually what we started a restaurant around. My grandparents uh, in particular were really good at barbecue and barbecue is a very communal kind of eating experience where it takes you hours upon hours for the meat to prepare. So you gotta have stuff to do in between. So whether that's playing biz whiz, uno, uh, or just, you know, just kind of shooting the breeze. It really meant an opportunity for people to come together and do life. And I saw that model as a kid. And we eventually started a restaurant uh, in Southeast Portland for about 18 years, a beloved restaurant called Campbell's Barbecue. And the restaurant closed down a few years back. And my aunt, who was running the business at that time as the CEO, gave me the recipes and says, you know, baby, I've done what I can. Now it's your turn as the third kind of uh, generation of entrepreneurs to continue to share our family's recipes with the world. So that's what I've inspired to do with my lovely wife um, since 2014. That's so cool. So you, you've had the business since 2014. You're doing a line of sauces that come from your family restaurant, the, the rub they were using at the restaurant. And mm -hmm. then now you've started doing the sausages that they were serving there as well, right? Correct. Yes, that's exactly right. And Again, all those recipes are what I grew up eating. So we did it at home first, yeah. got good there. And then eventually uh, in retirement, my grandfather wanted something to do. And they had a house up on the corner on 87th and Powell that they had bought and opened up a restaurant. So aunts and uncles busting down walls, neighbors helping us pull up tree stumps and creating a, a basically a cute little quaint restaurant out of a house right on the corner. So. That's, that's great. I'm sorry the restaurant has 
closed down, of course, because I think it was a big part of the community and it's not here anymore, but I think it's great that you're carrying on the family tradition in this way. It's really wonderful. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Sarah. I was just going to mention that I really love your packaging. It has your grandparents on the design. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the design for your labels? They're really nice. Sure. You know, so much of uh, my role is really to amplify the story of my grandparents. I think most people, when they are wanting food, they really want to know the origins of it. Like, where did it come from? What's the story behind it? Was it just simply baked up in a lab or does it, does it, is it rooted in community and family and did people uh, cherish it and make it? And so, so much of my work around the labels was to do just that. I think also too, a barbecue sauce is a pretty saturated market. So you have to stand out <laughs> and people um, aside from tasting it, the label has to draw you in. So mm-hmm. we really made a huge effort on the front end. Uh, I work with a friend from college. We both went to Oregon state oh, and nice. we, were, we were friends at Oregon state and he was a graphic designer. He worked with Nike and Wyden Kennedy and all those like, and he used to go to our restaurant as well. And so we spent a lot of time. He really pressed me to dig deep on the story and to pack the label with as much as we can. So as an example on the label, my grandparents' image, uh, it's also a stained glass. And for me, they were really saint-like to me. Not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination, but so much of how they impacted my life and many people around it. Very generous with their life. And even in their restaurant, they really helped people get on their feet. I saw that over and over and over again. And so each, each bottle of sauce has a little bit of their story. One of them talks about their journey up to Portland in their VW van with their meat cleavers and smoker and all the like. Another one talks about their love for urban farming, which was very common for us to go into the backyard and get a lot of the collard greens and corn and basil and whatever we needed to make for the meal. We went outside and sourced it from chickens to geese to goats. Um, and then uh, the last piece, the color of the label, that 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 teal, which is kind of like that Tiffany's box. I didn't do that because I thought it was cute. That actually is a sign of hospitality to us because that was the color of the carpet for many years at our house. And so you would be greeted by, the, by in the front door with my grandmother's warm smile and you'd see this color carpet. I'm not suggesting you like it, but it was still, <laughs> it's, it meant you were it meant you were coming home and you were home in our house. And so that's the color of it also again, speaks to so much of what our family, um, my grandparents represented for so many people in terms of being a, a, a home that was open for so many people. Maybe that's why they use that color for the Portland airport carpet. <laughs> that's true. It is, it is similar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a really so. um, good story. And, and it's the perfect example of like um, being able to identify your brand and your story just visually. Cause we talk about that with makers a lot that um, important. Yeah, it's important. And I think that you really do that. I also love that um, on your gift set, you have um, a repurposing tool for uh, turning the gift set into a little garden by planting seeds in it. And I think that um, continues to tell your story even after people have used the sauce, which I just thought that was so smart and wonderful. And I think you guys do such a great job with that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's funny because many of the things that my grandparents modeled, I mean, my grandfather was from Texas originally and grandmother from Arkansas. And I think they, they had that kind of agricultural background, even they moved into the West to so many, you know, African-American 
families migrated in the in the 40s during the war, they still kept those roots of kind of that farming. And so growing up, those were the things we saw. And so it wasn't me trying to be slick with that box. Like I literally grew up, my grandpa had a box where he 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 was uh, raising worms. So he said, take boy, take these eggshells and these coffee grounds and all these peels and put them in the dirt in this box. I'm like, what is going on in this box? And then he was all right. <laughs> He said, let's go fishing. I'm like, well, where's the bait? He says, go to that box and you go to, and all these night crawlers and stuff would come up. And he's like, we're, we're making, we're feeding the worms that are going to just, I mean, just, there's so many of those stories that I'm, I, yeah. after, you know, after a while I got annoyed by him as a kid, but now that I'm older, I'm like, oh my God, that was like sustainability. They modeled reuse and recycle before it was all a rage. Yeah. But, they um, were, they were teaching you really valuable skills. I love yeah. it. My mom always had a compost pile, which is really valuable when you have a family in a kitchen that you're trying to keep going and you need somewhere to put all that food waste. Food waste is a huge problem. And if you can reuse it in your garden, it's really, really wonderful. Yeah. 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 So you and your family are into gardening and do you keep bees as well? I think I saw on your Instagram. We do. Yeah. I have been, uh, I wouldn't say an avid beekeeper. I would say an attempting beekeeper <laughs> for the last three and a half years. Uh, but it's been a, a huge labor of love. I've learned so much just by um, starting that process. Um, and I have three hives right now. And that's that's probably going to be my limit. Um, I, I I'm, Sadly, every year I lose one or two hives. But the wild thing is I've caught swarms in our neighborhood. So it's one of those oh, things where, yeah. you you know, you say you want to buy a car that's, you know, a certain color that you never see. And all of a sudden, when you want to buy it, you start seeing it everywhere. And as soon as I got these bees, literally swarms, I've spotted them in our neighborhood. We've had people from around the neighborhood who know that I have a beehive have come and I've gotten two swarms just because our neighbors have said, hey, I got something in front of my house. Come get it. So it's been really, really cool. Bees swarming in our neighborhood yesterday. I have a question for you, Tori. Yes. What did you do before, or do you also do something else while you're running this um, business? Are you working as well, or have you managed to make this your full time work? Yeah, so great question. I would say that um, this has been a, it has been historical, like that side hustle labor of love. If I could do this full time, this is what I would be. But as a small startup, it hasn't been something that has covered all the bills of a growing family. And so mm-hmm. um, I currently actually work uh, back at the or at Oregon State University. I just started back there about 10 months ago, uh, working oh. for the, the Alumni Association. So as I mentioned earlier, I graduated from there. Uh, the food company has been something that my wife and I have been kind of pouring our energies into. Uh, she has been really the rock in terms of running the day-to-day operations over the last three years in particular. Um, and that has allowed me to kind of moonlight early on. I got the company going in terms of that initial push, but the marketing, managing our partners, all of our accounts, those things have required obviously a team effort. So we, we do it together with our, our kids. And we also have some really cool family members that jump in when they can and help. So it's a family affair. That's really cool. You guys, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. And I want to hear about all the wonderful flavors of everything that you make. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. 
by providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system because food brings people together. All right. Welcome back. Tori, can you tell us a little bit about the rub that you have? Is that something that you recommend you put on while you're um, smoking or roasting your meat? Yeah. So our spice rub, it's not hot at all. It's really easy to work with. It's something that my grandfather just tinkered with over the years. Uh, He would often say good barbecue. In this case, doesn't need barbecue sauce. So that meant a huge emphasis was placed on how you seasoned it. And so the rub that we have is, again, something I grew up with. Uh, eating at home, it eventually became the rub that we used on all of our, our meats that we had at our barbecue restaurant uh, in Southeast Portland, Campbell's Barbecue, for many years. And so we tell our customers it's one of the easiest things to work with. And if you put it on generously, it'll give back to you generous flavor. Uh, it's like a salty sweet, got garlic and cumin in there, and it really pairs well uh, with all meats. So beef, pork, chicken, it's great on some of the fishes. Uh, some of your your white fishes is really good on a particular. We also put it on our salmon as well. Um, I know we have a lot of uh, vegetarian and vegan uh, customers as well. And this is one of the products we encourage. So it's great. You know, you put some olive oil on some cauliflower and you want to roast it. You can sprinkle this on there. It really just isn't uh, you can't miss with it. We've had some of our customers use it on their popcorn, too. So it's got oh, some yeah. range. So it's kind of a salty, sweet flavor to it in that way. That's a good idea. And um, what, how many different barbecue sauces do you do? Yeah, so we currently have three barbecue sauces. Um, our uh, mildest one, which is kind of our, our uh, most fan, kind of like our fan favorite, is the smoky brown sugar and uh, smoky molasses flavor profile. Uh, no corn syrup, no preservatives. And uh, it's just a good smoky uh, brown sugar. It's a really uh, flavorful kind of kids love it all the time. I always have, I actually had some folks the other day said, my kids cannot stand barbecue sauce. I gave them yours. They won't eat anything else. And so <laughs> it really works well. Then That's the next two, the next two flavors are, have a little heat associated with them. So it's our medium. We call it um, like organ hot. It's got some kick to it. It won't overpower you, but it's not subtle either. And uh, so you'll taste that heat in the back of your taste palate and really flavorful, good. It's a good dipping sauce. You can put it on your morning potatoes or eggs, but obviously you pair it primarily with, with barbecue. And then we have our hot, which is what it is. Great intense flavor. The heat says hello right up front. Um, but again, it's not just hot for the sake of being hot from an in- heat intensity. It actually has a really, really delicious flavor. And th- the style of the barbecue sauces is a, it's a more of a Texas base. So it's a real strong tomato paste. So a little bit of a thicker uh, style of barbecue sauces. And we often would use them as like a condiment. So I know oftentimes you can, people like to mop their meats with their barbecue or, you know, put it on the meat during the, the cooking process. We typically don't. We'll just put the rub on and then you have the barbecue sauce as a condiment afterwards. That's how I like to do my um, barbecue. I always just roast and then serve the sauce on the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a good way to do it too, because then if you have more of like kids who don't want it as spicy or like, I like your hot one, then like people yeah. can put on whatever they want and it's like, yeah. and then everyone's happy. Now, can I say something? If I can share, Sarah, I don't know if you remember me, but as we were talking and you referenced the food innovation center, uh, that you and I actually had an email conversation many moons ago um, awesome. when I was getting started, I believe. And I was asking a question. I was trying to find a food alternative to corn syrup. Oh, and what did and I were, say? Did you I were helping you? me source. We were thinking about doing, uh, 
it wasn't like a cane sugar. There was a whole bunch of uh, something in, in South America I was looking for. You were just kind of, you were super helpful. And that was at the time right before we launched. And oh, I just wanted to hear. call that out to say thank you for that help early on. That kind of got me pointed in the right direction. Our well, first account, good. our first account out the gate was New Seasons. Um, and that's a real cool story if I can share. But they were like, we don't want a corn syrup. And I was like, I'm with you. But I didn't have an alternative kind of a... a Tell us about sweet. your journey with New Seasons, actually. Have you, Elsa, are you in Market of Choice? Yeah. So we're in Market of Choice and New Seasons. Um, and then a lot of local kind of independent stores as well. So we currently, we're, and we just recently got back into the Bay Area where our family's originally from. So we, we have... Uh, accounts now in all the three states on the West Coast, which is pretty exciting and some new beginnings for us. So, um, but our store in, with New Season started back in, I think, 2000 and uh, probably 13 or 14. You must I was, be doing well there because you've been there a long time. Yeah, yeah. They were Eight our first years? account. Yeah. That's and good. It was, and the real cool thing with them is that they started off, we were their partner brand. So, you know, that they often kind of work with the local company to provide a particular product. And the two individuals that we were working with used to go to our restaurant. So I happened to be oh, in a class. Uh, it was a get your recipe to market class. You were in GYRM. Yeah. And I was there with another student. I was actually there helping another gentleman try to get his product to market. <laughs> uh, oh. I, was, I was working with, I was supporting small businesses and micro food entrepreneurs as a, as a kind of a consultant. And so going through the class to support him, I had just my aunt literally within that month had given me everything. And so the gentleman was like, well, why are you here? And I'm like, well, I'm supporting him. And he's trying to get his mac and cheese to market. And he's like, OK. He said, well, do you have anything that you're working on? I was like, well, not actually, now that you mentioned it, I do. <laughs> so my, my aunt, I was like, my aunt just gave me these recipes. We used to have a barbecue restaurant called Camel's Barbecue. And his eyes lit up. He's like, Camel's Barbecue. Oh, my God. I used to eat there all the time. And and they were just, just like we got to talk afterwards. And one thing led to another. Oh, they were that's great. And they that's... said we would love to be the kind of the first, you know, partnering store to get your product back to market. And they said, how about a partnering brand? And we'll kind of acknowledge you on the label. And that gave us instant credibility. Yeah. And most importantly, it taught me so much right away how to mm-hmm. scale, how to do distribution, yeah. how to tell your story. So feeling very fortunate for my our relationship with new seasons um then and now you know and that's a very lucky unique way of getting started i realized well a lot of people go through the getting your recipe to market program Mm -hmm. i think around 30 per year and now just about everyone can get in if they're ready like if they're ready and ready to prepare enough food to get onto the shelves new seasons pretty much takes takes the products yeah. It and it sounds like you were just destined to be in that class. Like it was meant to be, even though you didn't know that's what you were going to yeah. do. I that's agree, exactly Sarah. I yeah. agree. That's so cool. Um, and you you've mentioned too. Um, you know, you went to OSU and you're in Market of Choice and stuff. And those are both of our sponsors. So I just yeah. want to say, like, your story is part of you know what we do here. We want to like point out the the places that help small businesses and that can get people started. And we love all those programs you went through and the people that you've interacted with. It's really nice. Yeah. And we need some of your packaging to put on our wall of fame at the Food Innovation Center. Yeah. yeah happy happy to bring some by for sure. Yeah, and, swing uh, by. Just drop it by anytime. Okay. Yeah. Monday through Mark- Friday. Yep. 
and Marketed Choice has been a, a great partner as well, too. I just want the fact that they're a sponsor. They have equally shown us a lot of love um, over the years. So uh, I, I think it's, you know, it speaks to, you know, this very well. There's a very unique food ecosystem in Portland, um, particularly that does allow and make it fairly accessible to scale up if you want, you know, where you could do the farmer's markets are accessible. Those are a real viable place to connect and mm-hmm. kind of yeah. do your, your, your initial R&D. And, and a lot of the stores accommodate and really welcome that small batch kind of food entrepreneur. So yeah. And you're genuine. You're like a genuine Portland brand. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty, I mean, you hit all the, all the key aspects of what we're trying to do with all our services is help local and regional stories and foods. And it's perfect. You um, just mentioned the farmer's market. And so I wanted to try to connect people to you there. So which farmer's markets are you currently at? Yeah, so our home base, because it's the closest to where we live, but also it speaks to so much of what, where I grew up is in Southeast Portland at Montevilla Farmer's Market. So that was our first market we jumped into when we launched. And we just, we love being there. So those are Sundays. You can also find us uh, at Lake Oswego. And uh, we also do some of the seasonal Portland night markets as well. Um, so those are kind of the, and also we've been out in Beaverton Farmer's Market. So kind of hit little triangle of uh, getting across the city. And for right now, if people want to buy your sausages, that's where they go, right? It's to the farmer's market. Is that where you sell them? Yeah. So you can currently, you can get our sausages at the farmer's market. If you see us, as you mentioned, Sarah, you can also get them at, I believe, 10 participating stores for new seasons and also around eight participating stores and market of choice because it's a newer product. So not everyone is selling them just yet, but they they've done well in those locations. Uh, Helvetia um, out kind of Marion Acres out in the way has them and a few other places that are coming to mind. But those are the primary places. Definitely any of the farmers markets will have the new seasons is about 10 participating stores and a few market of choices as well. Will you tell us a little bit about the, they're called Papa sausage, right? Yeah. yeah. So tell us yeah, about them. what yeah, is the so, flavor? Yeah. So the flavor profile, um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about the kind of the origins for me. So as a kid, literally some of my earliest memories in my grandparents' house in, in Oakland, California. I mean, I have, I remember things almost from like age one. I tell my mom, did we ever live here? And this next, like, how did you know that? That was our first apartment. You was one years old and you were crawling. I was like, I just have that in my mind still. Mm-hmm. But I remember sitting on a stool, probably three or four years old and watching my grandfather grind meat on this, this old grinder he had. And he would then take the the intestine might have been lamb and he would get the salt. I didn't know what he was doing at the time, but I remember those vivid memories. And my grandfather always, again, tinkered in the kitchen. And so sausages was also one of the things he was really noted for. So this link sausage that we have is something that we grew up eating. And we call them pawpaws links because that was the name of our, our grandparents' name affectionately. Obviously, Felton and Mary, you'd see them on the street. But if you grew up around us, you'd hear me saying, Mama, Papa, that was what we we could call them. We didn't know how to say grandma and grandpa. So they're Pawpaw's links uh, connects it to him. And they are a mix of beef and pork. And we source them locally. So uh, Carlton Farms, just out, I think, out a little bit past uh, McMinnville, we source our meat from them. So that's important that, you know, people know that it comes from a place that does sustainable and thoughtful um, kind of pasturing of their meats. And the blend, it's not hot or spicy. It's, you know, it's hard to describe, you know, meat products without you tasting it, but it is rich in flavor. 
Uh, similar to almost like a chorizo, but not that heat that's there. Uh, it definitely has some depth of character um, and it's really delicious. Obviously, you can put it on the grill, then you help the skin snap, but you can also pan fry them and use them in your morning as like a good pairing with your potatoes or your eggs. Uh, we've heard people use it in some of their like gumbos and jambalaya. So it has some range in terms of how you use it, but it, it's really something we've just grown up with. And I remember it was a favorite at our restaurant where we made them. And I, even in high school, I would make them with my grandfather in the back of the restaurant, kind of the same process. So a lot of fun stories associated with um, these link sausages and really been happy to bring them back to market. We've done it in a way because of COVID, obviously, we weren't able to uh, demo them. So we feel fortunate that they've sold. I mean, we've probably been able to sell over over 35,000 pounds worth of it, you know, in the last year, which that's for us, that's a good start. I don't know how to measure that about anybody else, but for us, we were blown away and yeah. feel super grateful for people trusting us because you just had to trust our brand because they couldn't, we couldn't cut them up and make yeah. them. For you. And uh, it's just been fun, I, you know, just seeing people taste them. And we also have some old customers who came back for that. They're like, when I saw this, this was going to take me right back to the restaurant. That's and, great. Uh, that's been really cool. I saw you were hosting monthly barbecue socials. Are you still doing that or maybe going to start back up now that we have more freedom of moving around? Yeah, we we would like to do that. That was so much fun. Uh, again, as you know, barbecue food in general is just a communal thing. It's just a way to get people together and, and do life together. And we love being a part of that. We love instigating community, diverse communities coming together. Uh, centered around food and we had music and all the like and we did it in partnership at that time at the society hotel which is down in old town chinatown we did it on their rooftop which is a really cool way to bring attention to their business at that time and obviously they created a huge opportunity for us to grow our visibility um, as a as a food company so definitely things we've thought about doing um i know people really crave getting out and being community and this could be a way we can help facilitate some of that yeah, that's true. You know, the last time that I don't know if you remember this, but I saw you and your family recently uh, roller skating at Oaks Park. You were all there together. And yes. I, I love that you and the whole fam were there skating. <clears throat> and, you know, I usually work with your wife. I see her at events because we do events alongside each other all the time. But um, can you talk a little bit about um, how important family involvement is in your business and you and your wife working together? Yeah, it's every. I did see you, and she said, "That's Sarah. She has the sauces." But I, Sarah, I was not trying to say hi because you. I was on the roller skates, and I had to be so focused because if I fail, all I, it was just one fall. It was Boom. one and done. So I it get was, it. I, so I I'm think like, <laughs> roller skating is not the time and place for meeting new people. I don't. Not at all. I think you, all your focus has to be on staying on your feet. That's funny. I was locked in. I was locked in. So, yes, you know, so much of this, it is about family. I obviously we want to be a profitable business. We gratefully have made it through the you know COVID. So that's a testament. You're not bringing in the big bucks, but some of the intangibles. And I think the powerful things about this business is that it has reconnected our family. So like for many families, when the patriarch and the matriarch, you know, like your mama and papa, when, when they, when they passed away, they were the anchor and we all gathered at their house and that was the meeting place and food and everything. When they passed away, it was like this reshuffling where everyone's trying to find themselves again. Mm 
And when we started this food company, it ended up being not the only way, but a way to reconnect everyone. Because we would do events where I'd say, okay, I got the sauce, you know, made for the first time, come taste it. Or I got this, we got the links, come get them. And so that to me has been powerful. It's been a way for cousins to come in and go to a night market with us. And they're like, don't pay me. I just love telling people, this is my grandparents. I, Felton and Mama, you know, Felton and Mary were my grandparents, Papa and Mama. It's not just Tori. <laughs> and so to see that my aunt, you know, who ran the business for 10 years, it was a phenomenal, you know, leader and really self-taught entrepreneur. Uh, my dad, he he works with us a lot. He actually gets more love because he gets out there. He's really good looking still, in great shape. <laughs> and he tells these stories and he he can spin yarn like my grandfather. But the thing I love hearing my dad say is, these are my parents. And people are like, they were? And he's like, and that's my son and that's my grandson. And so that's the beauty is that it's been four generations. My kids, as you know, never met mm-hmm. them. But man, they know them because yeah. they have been at the market from day one telling the story of their great grandparents. And it's powerful because it, it creates a greater point of connection and identity that I think spans over three generations. And that's lost a lot of times for many of us. We don't have that heritage that we can tap into with a tangible thing like a food product or something created. And I feel very grateful that we we have been successful and we are rich in that way with our connection to our culture, to our history, and what my grandparents modeled with self-determination, hospitality, um, being entrepreneurial, being resourceful. My grandmother was probably the real brains of the operation in many ways. And just seeing how she led as a Black woman um, in some really difficult times was just, it's been golden for me. And so I wouldn't have learned any of those things had we not taking our products and foods that we loved at home and said, let's make them something that we can share with the world. You know, what's wonderful about family businesses. It's really an asset for the family. It has, it creates a financial stability in many, many ways. I think that people don't really realize Um, it creates conversation. And like you said, in a lot of things, it really actually creates a, an oasis. You used that in an article I read about you, mm-hmm. that your business actually has created that oasis for your family. That's really cool. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, and it, I mean, and it can be carried on in whatever form it takes next, because I mm-hmm. think that that's what your family has shown they're really good at is is carrying it on, even though things may be changed and it might look different, but who knows what your kids will do with it or their kids, you know? It's just going to keep going because you you did this. And it's so wonderful that that has taken this form. It should be an ice cream for sure. <laughs> That's the next move, huh? All right. Yes. Let's do soft serve. <laughs> come on. Come on. At the farmer's market, you can get a soft serve machine and serve soft serve um, ice cream with barbecue sauce. People will come from miles away. <laughs> they they might. They I love might. It. Sarah, I love it. Sarah is the ice cream expert. I don't know if okay. you know that about her, Tori, but she te- she puts on a national ice cream conference. So yeah. okay. if, she, All if, right. she, if she says that she can make your um, barbecue sauce into an ice cream, I would believe her. Well, <laughs> come on, Sarah. Last week, Let, let's I go. Served, let's go to work. Let's do I it. I served ranch ice, ranch ice cream at the Oregon Dairy Industries meeting last week. And people were like, what? Did they <laughs> carrots? Did they love it? They some people, most people were like, what? Wait, 
this is ranch. And I was like, yeah. And, and I was like, eating it. Just messing so with their mind. <laughs> and, you know, people the next day were even talking about it. The ranch ice cream, the ranch ice cream. So my dream is to one day have somebody make ranch ice cream and maybe like Greek salad ice cream with like caramel, um, Greek olives and feta cheese mm. chunks and maybe like a honey mustard ice cream. I'm like into like a whole line of salad dressing ice creams. I think oh. it's cool, Sarah. That's that sweet, <laughs> that's that sweet and savory line right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, you mentioned um, a little bit about wholesale, and we have a lot of uh, makers who are listeners. So um, you started out here, and you you know got into all the local stores, and you mentioned kind of expanding into California, which makes sense for you because that's where your grandparents were from. Uh, how has that process been um, going into the California market? Was it difficult? Was it easy? Do you have any tips for our listeners? Yeah, you know, everyone's journey is different, right? But I think one thing is common is a belief that what you have um, is strong enough and, and valuable enough to, to risk the expansion process, you know? And so for us, it ended up being a five-year process, meaning I had thought about it, we talked about it, but it took us about five years to, to learn what it meant to grow locally. Um, and and it's, I would say it's not enough just to be on the shelf, like not impressed. <laughs> I'm not impressed with myself. I'm not happy. It's about you know, the product moving. And so that's brand awareness, that's connecting with your customers. That's also having strong partnerships with those stores and those accounts um, where the managers and those who pack the shelves will vouch for you. And we've just found that that's taken time and we've been okay with that. You know, so the mantra slow as fast has been for us. Um, Coming back into Oakland was really a, a testament of the good fortune of networking and having good mentors. And so I had talked with someone who's been super helpful um, at Bob's Red Meal, bumped into someone. And I'm just, you know, you're always out asking, trying to learn. Do you remember and, who it was? Uh, her name is, uh, is Jane. She's nice. their v- VP uh, for their international sales. And nice. we just talked and she was just been such a, a wonderful coach. And she gave me wisdom about five years ago of how to do it. And it took me five years to get to a place where we were ready to do it. And uh, gave me a couple of distributors. But this might be good for you. They work in independent stores. Kind of gave me the ropes. And I went, reached out to them, shared our stores, shared products. And it really opened up. They believed in us. And that's how we got into. So I think that we did it all during COVID. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. It's, it's all a risk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we are now in about 40 stores in the, the Bay Area um, area, all the way down to kind of San Mateo, um, Richmond, uh, Santa Rosa, obviously Oakland, San Francisco, Richmond, you know, that kind of the, the Bay Area. But we it's spanning out and, and could have done more. But again, now we have to the same lessons we learned here. We're wanting to apply there. Yeah, be careful. Don't go too big, too fast. <laughs> and that's exactly that's right. Slow is fast. We have family living in the Bay Area, my brother. So he now manages kind of our regional nice. accounts down there. So he's busy with the stores and making those connections. And we're hoping to kind of take some of the same playbook that we've done here and apply it there. Um, and we also know there's a lot of lessons to be learned along the way. So uh, that would be the things that I would say, you know, also our barbecue sauces, as you know, within the sauce world, we benefit from having a longer shelf life, you know, so, you know, that helps us like learn those lessons and still not feel the pressure to have to sell it. I have friends that 
their product, they got to get it sold in three months kind of thing. And that would be a different kind of stress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where we are. And again, very grateful for the opportunity to be able to bring our products back to the Bay Area. And there's a story there too. So yeah. it's it's reconnecting I, in the same way that people have appreciated us being local here. Our roots started from the Bay Area and that's yeah. found on our labels at that storyline. And I think that's really valuable information for our um, maker listeners to have because I think sometimes just getting into the store isn't the end. That's really like the beginning of your journey because you do have to have these really good relationships with the the people that work there, the buyers, and and all of those people shift too and change. And so sometimes especially the buyers, yeah, especially buyers are like the people that work in the store. And especially now, you know, there's not that sense of like staying in a job for a really long time. And so you have to like constantly be working on those relationships just like a personal relationship yeah. like you do with anybody and so I think that's really key for people to hear it just getting into the store is kind of the beginning because then you if you want to be successful you need those people to love you as much as as it would be like you being there you know and I think you need to tell us I'm wondering where are you having your product made you're not making it yourself are you no, we're not. Yeah. So I have a cold packer okay. here in, in okay. Portland that makes it for us. Okay. And that's, yeah, that, and that's with the sausages too. You have like correct. a manufacturer. Yeah. 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 And I, and I'll be honest, you know, cause I feel like people always tell you that, that, like they step out as Superman or whatever. They never tell you the Clark Kent parts of their life where they were dorky and didn't look right. And it was clumsy and cumbersome. So for us, you know, yes, we're in stores and yes, we've grown and things this, but I benefited again. I'm third generation. And so I want to state that like my grandparents started something my and my aunt came behind them and ran the business. And I remember as a young man watching our family bottle our sauces, get it in the stores. Uh, Whole Foods was one of our first accounts before Whole, Whole Foods really had grown up. I think it was uh, whether it was Whole, Whole Foods or like Nature's Fresh. Nature's, yeah. something. Remember that? Remember? So that yeah. was like one of our first accounts. And I saw all of that. And so they had someone co-packing our sauces. And so when the restaurant closed, uh, we sold it. We retained the rights to all of our recipes. And my aunt gave me the recipes, but she also gave me those contacts. And so because mm-hmm. she was such a good businesswoman and they had they were endeared to her and loved her, she introduced me. They were like, Annette, if this is your your, your nephew and your if, if he's working with us and, and he's from you, we'll work with him. And so that gave us such a good footing from day one. Now, I still have to be responsible in those relationships, mm-hmm, right. kind of earn trust. But that's the beauty of, you know, generations passing something down to you. And I wanted to share that because that to me yeah. was just as good as going out and raising, you know, seed capital to get it going was actually having family already break down some doors for us. Well, having a good co-packer is like having an investor because they're giving you, you know, 30, 60 days to pay that invoice. And that's big for a startup because that gives you time to get paid from your sale and then turn around and pay the co-packer. So that's that's a true gift from a co-packer. It really is. Yep. Well, we want to uh, encourage people to buy from you directly. So tell us where we should send people. Yeah. So a couple of ways to do it. Uh, one of the most convenient ways that we've all gotten really accustomed to is online. So you can go to our website, feltonandmary.com. We ship anywhere in the country, typically two to three business days, uh, uh, priority mail. Um, once the order has been confirmed. We can send you everything but our link sausages. Those still have to be purchased um, in person, either at a farmer's market where you'll find us 
and it's springtime heading into summer. So we'll be out uh, quite a bit often. So just look on Instagram or find us in terms of where we are. And then, as we mentioned, we have a list on our website of all of our stores, uh, currently over 100 stores now. Um, obviously, New Seasons, Market of Choice, are our largest accounts, but Chuck Produce got to get a shout out in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, well-spent, um, just so many different places, the kind of big and small neighborhood-friendly stores you'll find us. And uh, yeah, we love your support and would love to kind of make you a part of our family and that you would fall in love with them in a way that you'd eventually call them mama pop on some point. <laughs> hey, Tori, give a shout out to your wife since she's the one going to the markets. <laughs> yeah, without question. I, you know, I, I, obviously she should have been on this call to stay in, <laughs> in, to stay in trend of the, the really the real powerful testament of what this podcast is wanting to do is amplifying women entrepreneurs. And I couldn't we couldn't be where we are without her and her hustle, her smarts um, and also her belief uh, in our family's products. And we met in high school. So used to go to the restaurant. <laughs> My grandparents uh, adored oh. and loved her. And so she very much so owns the story as much as I do. And uh, yeah, you're right. We couldn't be where we are today uh, without Roxana. So I love her deeply for that. And that is what's made this really be a joy is I'm not pulling her. Uh, we're pulling together um, to do this work. So thank you for reminding me about to give her a shout out. <laughs> well, Tori, thanks so much for coming on the show and telling your story. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but we will send people your way. Everyone go purchase Felton and Mary products and meet Tori and Roxana. They're wonderful people. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tara and Sarah. Thank you. We record Masonian Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you can DM us on our Instagram at Masonian Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers as well as farmers, fisher folk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.